Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. It's your turn this week, so why don't you tell everyone what you made me read? Uh, okay, so the full title, Marvel Infinity Comic, Love Unlimited, Comet in Love Infinity Comic. This is on Marvel Unlimited, the uh, web and uh, mostly app service for reading Marvel's digital library. You can subscribe for, I think it's $10 a month, or you can spend more of it in a big chunk if you feel like it and um it's one of the i call them scrollies the digital comics they've been releasing on there it's the same format as like those webtoons yeah the vertical comics where you just swipe your finger down the screen and it just goes down entirely as opposed to i guess just standard print comics where you have a bit more variety and what you can do layout wise these are just the drag your thumb down and keep reading and going down oh and to be more specific this is issues 31 through 36 of the love unlimited series they're just all subtitled comma in love infinity comic yeah because the overall series is just like a different character every arc for a romance story and we're talking about karma who if you don't know x-men stuff and even if you know X-Men stuff but don't know it obsessively and don't know who Karma is, Karma was a New Mutant who was barely in New Mutants before getting written out of the book, who her main claim to fame was Ugh. being one of Marvel's first and only out lesbians for a long time. Oh, that's a different claim to fame than I thought you were going to say. Which claim to fame were you thinking? The I'm, fucked up name thing? Uh, uh no, I I was thinking of the fucked up Shadow King story. Which one? Oh, oh, the oh! One where also, she gets possessed by the Shadow King, and it manages to be incredibly racist and fat phobic at the same time. Yeah. What if we took every problem with the Claremont runs fifteen year like seventeen year run, and we're like, what if we put it all in one story? Yeah. So she's a mutant was a member of the, like, second class of students, has come back on and off periodically, sometimes as, like, a teacher figure. Um, as I said, she was an early out gay character for Marvel, and, of course, the implication of that being that she wasn't in anything for years after coming out, because none of them were. Um, beyond that, her superpower is essentially being able to take over and control other people, which, on one hand, I think can make for an interesting story because that is an interesting concept of how do you write a hero with a power that is so inherently thorny consent-wise. But I can also partially understand why virtually no one ever writes her because if you're writing an action book, how much time are the writers realistically going to want to dive into oh, here's how I make it okay to use this fucked up power. See, if I was doing like an X-Men RPG, I'd play as Karma all the time because I'd just be like, she possesses him and makes the bad guy hit himself in the face until he's unconscious. Yeah, yeah. What do I have to rule to do that? Like a five? That's like very easy for her. That's her whole thing. Yeah. I guess the other 
main thing of note to know going into this, if you don't know her history, is just that she also had a, like, tropey, evil brother sort of storyline thing going on. And I don't know how much we even really need to get into the specific details, how much they really matter. She absorbed him into her, which is why she's called Karma, even though she is a Catholic. Yeah, this was... Because the yin-yang thing is an obsession that white writers have, and white people, specifically uh, Claremont and Frank Miller, who created her for a Marvel team-up issue. Yeah, very early Asian Marvel character. What were they gonna give her as a codename? Karma. Okay, do we know anything about that concept? No, we're just gonna go with it anyway. (laughs) Uh, We've seen the yin and yang symbol at the local YMCA, so... Yeah, and this series is Krakoa era... All of the mutants living on the island nation and her brother has basically been given a second chance to try and be less douchey. And a lot of the plot of this will be douchey's not the right word for it. That seems more flippant, I guess. Um, In the one issue appearance that I have read of his, because I haven't read, I think he does come back in like New Mutants Dead Souls, I want to say, like not long before Krakoa, but, like, he's fully just on board with their evil uncle's criminal organization, which, like, involves human trafficking, it's implied. So, he was, like, real bad, but he was also, like, 15 and hanging out with his evil uncle the whole time, so it's, like, how much can you blame him for it? And also, like, there's a lot worse people on Krakoa who we are reading comics about, and it's fine. Yeah, part of this series is just, like, about, like, mercy, forgiveness, um, you know, what the word is escaping me. Retribution? Not retribution. Um, when people have been... Reparation? Um, redemption, I I guess. How did we circle around that one? That's the... (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) Redemption, reconciliation, all of that, just sort of, you know, sorting out, moving forward in a better way. I guess before we fully jump in, let's just go ahead and do the quick creator acknowledgements as well. Uh, so all of these issues were written, penciled, and inked by Trung Lee Nguyen. Uh, Triona Fowler was colorist, and VC Ariana Maya was the letterer. And if you follow him on Twitter like I have for years, you might know him better as Trungles. But I think this is his first Marvel work. I don't think he's done any other big two comics before. Yeah, I don't think so either. Marvel seemed to be using these, like, Infinity comics to test out, like, characters and creators that, like, otherwise wouldn't be getting, like, a print from them because they're not sure how well it will sell. Um, which on the plus side means I've gotten a Beak and Doug Ramsey team-up story, and I've gotten this, so I'm very happy with the line, generally speaking. <laughs> There you go. If they could stop doing X-Men Green for, like, five minutes, this would be just, like, the perfect setup for comics for me, personally. But, yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and just dive right in um, with issue 31, issue one of what we're talking about. We essentially start off at the Hellfire Gala. It's kind of an expansion on what we... So... Karma was just a big part of the Vita Ayala New Mutants run, 
And as part of that, Vita Ayala wrote a part of the Pride special for 2021, which featured the first time Karma, an out lesbian character since, depending on how you define that, the 90s or the early 2000s, whether you want to count when they started just like flashing it with a signpost or when she actually first actually expressed romantic interest in a woman on panel. Um, first time she ever kissed a girl on panel, 2021. A story that basically existed just to get that kiss, I think. I'll actually dig into that later, because Galura is here. So she, um, basically that story was uh, Magic and Karma having a conversation where Magic is egging Karma on to go and actually like go and ask Galura, who is a winged mutant with like wind powers, out on a date. Uh, frequently, Furao is just referred to by the name L. So if we say L at any point, that's who we're talking about as well. Yeah, I think Galura is her mutant name. I'm not... I assume so. Has she appeared before here? Because I did not recognize this character at all. Like, Or by here, I mean, like, had she appeared before the Pride special? No, just the Pride special and then, like, a background character in some of Ayala's New Mutants after that. And then this. Which is a note that I have, but I'll, I'll get into that later because there's, I am assuming a very specific reason why this character exists beyond just like getting Karma a girlfriend. Like, but that, that comes up later anyway. Um, so we get to see Karma's first on panel kiss again. And then right after that, so ever since the eighties, Karma's civilian name was Sean Koi Man, which is terrible Vietnamese. Yeah, like, obviously neither of us is an expert in this language, but we simply know enough from having listened to actual Vietnamese people in the fandom talk about it to know that this was basically just Claremont utterly mangling it and naming this character. Yeah, like, Claremont read a book on the Vietnam War, he didn't read a book about how to structure Vietnamese names in the library in the 80s, which, like, I don't think we can get too mad about, because it is a white guy trying to do research in the 80s pre, like, internet, but, man, it does hurt, it's hurt the character, I would say, since, because that's just very weird representation-wise to have the name be so mangled. Um, so it turns out that her name is actually Swan, um, that's X-U-A with a, is that an umlaut? the arrow i don't know what the arrows are called umlaut is a term i'm used to hearing in german so i doubt it's called an umlaut that's but... a good point and an n um but it's pronounced swan and uh it's established here that she has just been letting everyone in her life this entire time call her shan completely incorrectly she likens it to a barista getting your name wrong as a part of a starbucks order but it is, I'm like, uh, this is literally everyone who you have met in the past 30 years of comics, up to and including family members. <laughs> it's a very, very silly retcon to just make the name correct. And, like, after this conversation, I doubt it will ever be mentioned again and they're just going to use the correct Swan name. And I'll bet if they do a flashback series with her, everyone will just call her Swan in that too. Yeah, it's the sort of thing where it's like... It feels worth doing, and there's no way that you can do it that would feel like it perfectly made sense while also, or like would make perfect sense within canon, you know, like, 
would you necessarily really buy that in 30 years, the first person she ever told the correct pronunciation was, was this girl that she just thinks is hot at a party and not any of her family or best friends? You know, like, obviously, you know, not impossible, but not the most likely thing. But also, it's fine. Let's go with it. Because I think it's good to give her a name that's not mangled to all hell and back so it's just sort of a we have to establish this real briefly and now we can just move on which i think is probably about the best way they could have handled it yeah there's no other way to do it so glad they did it but it is very funny to imagine that this is all just based on xavier getting it wrong and then making everyone else get it wrong because he's just too embarrassed by being that white so he's like no i'm just gonna have to mind control everyone Xavier literally fucking with her relatives' heads to make sure that the other Vietnamese characters don't pronounce her name correctly. Oh, and, like, have it in the wrong order, too, because I, I think it's now, um, this is just me trying to remember a Twitter post because it's not actually in the comic, but I think it's now Man Koi Swan, because that should, or Koi Man. I should be trying to remember this off of a Twitter post, but, like, the the name is also, like, correctly ordered as well. Like, given name and family name being reordered. Yeah, yeah, they're reordered in position so that it actually, like, is the correct structure. I just can't believe that that... It took so long to fix it, too. And it is a little unfortunate, but I think... It, I do wish it had just coincided with Krakoa, because then they could have just had it happen off-panel. And now we have, like, this really good run of stories with Karma in the Vidayala run, but have the wrong name. But maybe they could just go back and find and replace it uh so then we get to the first like aside from that the first like really cool beat in this series which like is just so dedicated to exploring Sean, uh, swan in a way that like no one really has before like i mean there's like some claremont stuff that is like let me heap a whole bunch of trauma onto this woman because that's how i explore all of the characters i like and then there is a Marjorie Lou run that I've not read, but I've read basically every other major appearance of Karma. And this is the first time she's used her powers on someone who wasn't, like, fighting it. Uh, because Elle doesn't know how to do the dance that everyone's doing at the the Hellfire Gala, which is a big party, by the way. It's a big mutant party. I don't think we mentioned what that was. Yeah, it's just a party. You don't need to know anything else for the sake of this episode. <laughs> and, like, she's literally like, oh, I've never used the powers that way before to, like, teach someone how to dance. And Elle's just like, well, have you ever tried on someone who asked? And she's, like, teaches her the dance, using her powers to move the, her body. And, like, Elle is able to be, like, like, normally when you get possessed by karma, you just don't remember what happened while you were possessed. Like, every character is like, oh, I just woke up again. But, like, when it's this willing possession, Elle is, like, present for it still. I'm now trying to think of, like, what mutant circuits you could do with Karma using her powers on, like, people who are, like, willingly allowing it. Like, what would require the level of cooperation of, like, a single mind, co like, controlling multiple bodies. Like, there's some neat stuff I think you could do with that. Yeah. Karma's powers, it's like, when you think about them and when someone tries to get creative and really determine new things to do with them. Her powers are very cool and have promise and 
are even just sort of philosophically interesting with the consent issue, you know? And, like, this explores it in, like, a fun, consensual way that I don't think I've ever seen before, you know? Like, may literally be the first time doing it this way. Like I said before, I obviously was never a writer in the ex-office, but I could imagine one reason she didn't get a whole lot of page time just being the sort of difficulty of how to use her powers, but this right up front in the first issue of this story sort of presents them in a new way that, you know, like with everything you were saying, not only feels fun and fresh, but also sort of gets the mind wondering what else she could do of just like, you know, framing the idea of someone else controlling your body in a context that isn't instantly terrifying is a very new and cool concept to me at least. I, I really, like, this bit right here was when I went, well, I mean, first, when I started reading it, the the Sean Swan thing was, I thought about it and was like, I mean, that was that was already, I was like, oh, okay, so we're gonna be, like, really doing some stuff with this character if you feel the need to, like, if you got Marvel to agree to changing the name of a character who's been around since, I want to say 1979 for, like, her first appearance in Marvel Team Up, like, you'll doing something really cool and interesting here. And then this immediately, doing something we've never seen happen before. Like, she's got the Star Fox problem. It's Karma's problem as well. Because Star Fox is a character who can, like, manipulate pheromones and make you fall in love with you, and it's like, oh. Yeah, it's the sort of thing where, like, the instant reaction is, like, how can you possibly use those powers in a heroic way? You know, I think it helps that they sort of go to more of a fantastical sort of means of doing it as opposed to just the more immediate thought of just, you know, taking away someone's consent via possession. It does help that she has, like, maybe one of the best power signatures in, like, all of comics. You mean, like, the artistic signature of it, or...? Yeah, the pink blocks that appear behind her head. And, like, around the people that she possesses that's been, like, a thing since that first issue. It just always looks so cool, no matter who's drawing it. And it also looks especially cool in this, where the pink takes over the page. And, like, not only her, like, Karma's eyes go pink and so do the people that she possesses. Like, it, it's just so fucking cool looking. I do, like, a uh, designated like, psychic power motif, you know? Like, just the various ways over the years that they've given characters something to have visually going on, like Betsy's butterflies and stuff like that. I think Karma's is cool, too. Yeah, like, those are the two real standouts, I think, are the, the Psylocke's, both of them's butterflies, and now uh, and, and Karma's blocky thing. Her Hellfire Gala outfit's even based on it, so it's very cool in these pages where she's wearing the fancy outfit that has that silhouette and then she does it yeah like listeners you can't see it from the sound of our voices but it's just this very cool outfit that manages to be like monochromatic pink and it's like simple enough to really work and be like a quick bold image that isn't too busy but also has like just enough detail to be defining of just like it matches her power set aesthetically there's also sort of a geometric feel to it 
that matches the sort of like a blocky effect that's often used of rendering her powers and it's just neat looks like a very nice coat dress yeah they need to get her out of the uh, the training uniform outfit that all the new mutants wear and put her in something even if it's just like the training uniform outfit but pink Honestly, I wouldn't be mad if she just ran around in her Hellfire Gala outfit every day. It if is it was cool just enough. like, oh, I had this made for this, and I think I'm just going to keep wearing this because it's very nice. The one thing is, anytime an X Men character wears a skirt in a combat situation, you're going to get a lot of people whining about it online. <laughs> Even when, like Karma or Jean Grey, they aren't really getting physical. I, I don't mind it. It's like. I don't know. Sometimes the skirt just looks cool and it's a comic and I'm willing to accept. Yeah, like it's a different silhouette. So it adds something different visually. I'm cool with letting a few ex-women run around in skirts as long as we're not getting really creepy upskirt shots all the time. Thankfully, the current crop of artists are so much better than the ones we had even like a decade ago. Yeah. Don't let Greg Land draw X-Men again, please. He's going to. He He's going to keep on doing it as long as he's around. Honestly, he's drawn something for Marvel that's coming up. I'm just like, why? Because he hits deadlines. That's all those, like, Gwen Stacy, Spider, Ghost Spider, like, alternate covers that he's done. Where, like, they're all literally the same background and also the same drawing of Gwen Stacy. And then he's just added on the different outfits for each one for the, like, two poses that he's drawn. It is the laziest thing I have seen in my life. And it's also probably traced from, like, several porn models from a magazine. Anyway, back to the comic. We get a flashback. So you mentioned earlier about how Prokoa had, like, was going to wind up giving her brother a second chance. What you didn't mention is that Karma had to die to have that happen. Because the reason her brother wasn't around anymore is because she fully absorbed him into her mind because he wouldn't stop possessing people and doing bad things. And he's been trapped in there since 1979. Has it been that long? Like, literally since the beginning? It's her first issue. And then her brother, like, I don't know what happens in the New Mutants Dead Souls. I know that he's in it. But, like, by the end, he's still in her head again because he's in her head for this. My god. I didn't realize it was literally her entire history. Yeah, first issue. That's why she starts going by karma, because she's like, for her brother's actions or whatever, you know, like, trying to make it better, whatever. But essentially, readers who aren't up to date on Krakoa X-Men, they can resurrect themselves when they die. There's a whole process involving telepathy and eggs. And yeah, basically the end notes is just that... She has to die so that they can be resurrected with their separate consciousness is consciousnesses and separate bodies. It's, you know, the resurrection stuff is like cool if you're into just comic booky bullshit, but all you really need to know is just that they're both able to come back. Well, and the way that she died was like it's a battle to the death in the crucible is what it's called. In this case, with characters kind of important later in the story, uh, Danny Moonstar, who's another new mutant. Um, so we're getting a, we get like a flashback to this just to establish it for this story. But that's stuff that happened in the Vita Ayala run that is really good, and everyone should read the Ayala Rice run on New Mutants. Yeah, it's excellent. 
pretty highly likely that we'll cover a story from it eventually. And so we end our first issue with uh, a moment after that uh, she's been resurrected post-Crucible, and Elle comes over and says, I think I need a little space. I don't know, Swan. I can't explain it right now. And flies off, ending our first issue of Karma and Love with one of those really annoying breakups where they don't explain it. And now we get into the really good stuff. I know I was already very excited, but this series just, like, gets better and better every time. So in the second issue, we get Karma doing her just-been-dumped trip to... What's it called? The Green Lagoon? The Green Lagoon, which is Krakoa's Tiki Bar. Because it's a tropical island. A literal tropical island. The main employee there and the one who's there currently serving her is the Blob... Frank Dukes, who has been excellent since Krakoa, because all they do is have him do this. Yeah, he gets to be, like, a minor but recurrent character who gets to just kind of be friendly with people and not the epitome of fatness as monstrosity. Yeah, the the writers now draw him like he's a human being, and he has a handlebar mustache that has, like, really helped his aesthetic. Yeah. So he's serving Karma at the bar. She's in her just-been-dumped blues when Rogue comes over to start talking to her, try and be a little bit of a pick-up, cheerful friend presence. And really the main part of the conversation that sticks out is Rogue joking about borrowing her powers so that she can take over Gambit's mind for sex purposes. I mean, yeah, so there's that, (laughs) which is great. You know, we get a lot about, so Sean is, like, actively worried about trying to, like, fight for Elle and, like, try to push Elle to talk or push Elle to get back with her because she has to be really careful with her powers about imposing her will on other people, which I think anyone's ever had her say this out loud before, like, She's definitely been one of those characters who just kind of hangs around people a lot over the years. She's a perpetual, like, presence in a background shot. Yeah. Like, not so much a active X-Men team member, so much as a... She's off teaching a group of students somewhere. Yeah, and, like, for example, in Mechanics, when she's trying to get with Kitty Pride, she's just kind of, like, hanging around Kitty, but she never, like makes a move on Kitty or, like, tries to tell Kitty that she's interested in her, even though that's clearly, like, what's happening. Uh, Mechanics is an early 2000s Chris Claremont series that I read as research for this episode because it is referenced in this story, and I was like, well, I've heard about it, I know what happens, but I gotta read it. And it's pretty good. I haven't read it, personally. I would recommend. It should be in the Extreme X-Men omnibus, but for some reason it's not, and that annoys me. Oh, well. Um, so Rogue does liken, like, the problems that Karma has with getting close to people mentally to her problems that she's had with, like, getting close to people physically because, well, she's Rogue. Everyone knows Rogue's deal, I assume. You've all seen that movie. You've all seen that movie and all of those cartoons. Yeah, she's the popular one. You should know her deal. So then, <laughs> I, like, I love this bit. Rogue references that, like, even once she had control over her powers, there's, like, still other relationship problems that you have to overcome. You still have to work at relationships, which is very basic advice for someone who is in her late 20s to swan, but, like, 
admittedly Swan is having like a lot of adolescent problems right now because yeah she's both gone through traumatic event after traumatic event and she's a lesbian character in a Marvel comic book so she's never actually been allowed to have a dating history yeah her dating history is hung around Kitty Pride for ages and then like was a Chris Claremont character so has just been shit teased with every single woman on every single team she's been on when written by Claremont, but never actually, like, able to do anything on panel. So, here we are. Um, but Karma asks, like, what? And we get this magnificent panel of Rogue downing her entire drink while Karma looks on in horror. <laughs> and then, to quote Rogue, Like once, one of my mamas tried to break me and Remy up by pretending to be me and seducing him. Which is a reference to an existing, uh, story that did happen. <laughs> Mystique did that. You know when your mom tries to fuck your boyfriend to fuck things up for you? <laughs> Mystique would do it. Oh, it, It's not even out of character. That's, it's just funny. That's fully in character. That is exactly Mystique's thing. And then Rogue references that, like... And this is another thing from, like, late in the Claremont run, that she and Gambit may have been set up by the Shadow King, like, as a couple. Which, like... Yeah, that was, like, a weird implication back in those comics in, like, the early 90s. And Shadow King is Swan's particular nemesis. The incredibly racist, fatphobic story that we mentioned um, is earlier is a Shadow King story. And she had just dealt with a bunch of Shadow King stuff in the Vida Ayala Rod Rice run on New Mutants. So, again, there's just a great panel. And we haven't mentioned the art much here. But the art is so fabulous, and there's this really expressive, like, she's got her fist clenched, and her teeth clenched, and, like, Shadow King. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of how to describe this, because, you know, I don't have the formal artistic training to be able to have as good of a vocabulary for art as I wish that I did. But it's very far from, like, standard marvel action house style there's a very like it's not trying to be steward immerman yeah there's a very just like soft and oftentimes comedic aesthetic to it where like you know this is more of a romance book you know karma in love love infinity comic and a lot of the focus is really on like comedic body language really expressive facial expressions that was a stupid way of putting it expressive expressions you know but a lot of it is just about using exaggerated ones yeah yeah like using the body expressing things and the aesthetic you know like matches the sort of um emotional interiority character focused sort of thing a relatively soft color palette. It's just pleasing to look at, you know? It's just nice. I absolutely love the way that Trung draws hair. Yes, the hair is one of the main details of note anytime there's someone on panel, because Trung just... The hair just has so many lines. It's one of those things where... If you're the sort of person who loves to just see, like, strand after strand rendered individually, it's very that. It, it looks so cool, and somehow that still works with the, 
like much simpler like cleaner design for the characters faces to really like expand and maximize like the use of their expressions yeah and like helps that most of the other details aren't that busy you know so it kind of like the hair sticks out even cooler in contrast to the relative simplicity of say like the way the clothes don't generally have like a bunch of definition to them or things like that you know it like helps it stand out as cool all the more because it's different from the way the rest of the rendering is and also just helps balance things out from getting too busy you could not mistake this for literally anyone else's style but i've seen in anything you wouldn't look at any page that he's drawn and be like who drew that yeah it's like if you know trungles and you look at a trungles piece you immediately know who it is yeah um marvel needs to get him to do more because there's some action beats later on that i think also work so i'm just like great throw them onto a bunch of comics let's do it (laughs) yeah i i would love more i i want a sequel to this but anyway so we get the problem with this issue is it is just good gag after good gag so rogue asks like who the girl is that karma's so worked up about and karma you know describes l as uh just being like really beautiful and talks about like her gorgeous wings and stuff and rogue is says hard to name a bird-winged mutant who ain't hot as breakfast come to think and we get an amazing like romance comics sort of shot of angel who everyone agrees is incredibly attractive and delighting me to no end beak listeners who don't know beak is one of those immediately like visually obvious mutants because he has like talons and wing arms and a literal beak and you know he looks very much just like a bird man he looks like a plucked chicken yes he looks like a plucked chicken he only really has feathers on his arms and then everywhere else they just sort of look like they've been pulled out yeah like not like human skin texture but literally like Oh, that that that's a bird. That's just a bird that has been overly pruned. This was this was a. I'm I'm assuming he was designed by Quitely, because he's from New X Men. So like, there's the aesthetic you're thinking of right there. Is like Quitely drawing a weird bird man, and uh, we get a like a romance like beautified shot of him. That actually, okay, sure. Yeah, this panel like. It's sort of like a dream bubble, you know, it's the like, oh, we're seeing what Rogue is imagining. We have some like magenta stars to give you that sort of like lovey-dovey pattern sort of thing. Soft pastel pink background. And we get, like, even the way the faces are rendered, like, Angel's face is like he's blushing, like a profuse pink on his face. We have the just piercing blue eyes against the pink we have his smile angel just looking legitimately hot because he's probably the hottest x-man with like his big wings outstretched and then we have beak (laughs) and then we have beak again i think so far as beak drawings go this is as attractive as you're ever gonna make beak it really is it's like not it's the same treatment but it is still just beak yeah, it's like, not that I'm actually sexually attracted to this bird man, but the way it's rendered is about as attractive as Beak could ever be, because he's, like, giving you 
that I, that's just like the historical romance cover, or I guess paranormal romance for him, little glean of, there's this mysterious man, what's going on with him as he gives you that sort of a wink and a smile? I really appreciate that this shows that at the very least, Rogue on Krakoa does not have any issues with visible mutants. Yeah. That's nice, because... I feel like Visible Mutants are still getting the short end of the stick, even on Krakoa. And they are well overdue justice. There's still not been one on the X-Men team. We're two teams down. 14 mutants. Not one of them is a Visible Mutant. Most of the mutants on this island are Visible Mutants. (laughs) That's messed up. Anyway. Yeah, Karma just keeps talking to Rogue about the relationship problems. Just goes over the sort of base plot of... You know, Elle seeing her do the crucible and basically her just being concerned about pushing too much, especially with her powers, being a young lesbian that's never been allowed to date. Blob talks a little bit to be friendly and nice too. When, of course, wouldn't you know it, Elle shows up with some other people and Karma does the whole rogue act like we're busy talking and rogue's just like we are busy talking and then we get the big end of issue reveal the person that l has come to the bar with and currently like is standing very close to physically like there's clearly an implication going on here um even though like l is not dating this person but it's it's danny danny moonstar who is the one who is certainly as of the Ayala Rice New Mutants is Swan's closest friend who killed her in the Crucible to help her resurrect her brother is now hanging out with her very recently broken up with girlfriend and I'm gonna quickly go into my brief theory on Elle which is if you read the Ayala Rice run it feels so heavily like it's setting up a Danny Karma relationship that it's not even funny there is issue after issue of those two being very emotionally intimate with each other. There's the Crucible stuff. There's things like Rain walking in on the two of them and feeling really awkward and the need to leave immediately. And then I think that probably someone, not in the X office, someone higher up, probably someone in Disney's branding department said you can't make another one of the classic New Mutants a lesbian. Even though... Danny was gay in a movie already in the New Mutants film that Fox did. Terrible movie, but that bit was good. And said no. And so, L exists because, quite rightly, Vidayala was like, well, Karma needs to have an on-page romance with someone. And I'm just gonna have to make up a new character since I can't take an existing one. Despite all the setup I've done. Yeah. Which, in the end results... Con-wise, I think my main con to all of this would simply be that there's still so little page time that L doesn't feel like much of a character. And so I kind of have a hard time being particularly invested in the romance just because one half of the couple is a character with no history who still hasn't really been fleshed out at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's my only real problem with it, because the this is, I would say, thanks to Betsy and Rachel having just gotten together, the third most prominent two-women couple in Marvel Comics, full stop, after Mystique and Destiny and Betsy and Rachel. 
I can't think of a single example that's not in the X-Men. They are all in the X-Men. And we know nothing about Elle, really, aside from she's into karma, so she's got, like, decent taste, I would say. But other than that, not a clue. Yeah, Yeah, which, like, I guess to a degree makes sense if, as we're speculating, you know, the character was sort of rushed into creation to sort of replace Danny on that front. You know, it makes sense that she wasn't just, like, in New Mutants from the start, but the romance does suffer a little bit from lacking that build-up. Yeah, which, again, I nothing negative to say on the creators now because i i do think that's the situation which is my imagination so i don't really and l will get developed eventually i'm sure we don't get much in this but that's because of the breakup plot and she's just not on panel because of that but like hopefully so i want another one which is just about the two of them so we can get some development in on l yeah all right so heading into issue three we get a bit more conversation between um karma and rogan you know karma's related the uh the whole resurrecting to resurrect her brother incident and rogue's immediate response is he an evil twin what i'm an x-man i have to ask (laughs) man she's basically correct She, she is correct he is pretty much an evil twin um very literally in his first story thankfully less so these days um so it's established that we didn't see this in the original like depiction of these events but it is established that um tron who is swan's brother did resurrect at the same time as her after that and he's been in chicago being reintroduced to their two younger siblings which also explains where those two have been since krakoa because she has two younger siblings that she takes care of because her parents are dead and her uncle is a criminal you can see why this character never gets used. <laughs> there's there's just a lot of baggage. It's like, we gotta figure out what to do with these two children. Her powers are, like, both story-ending and weird consensually. Do we bring up the evil brother? <laughs> um, so they... He's recovered a lot and, like, presumably has undergone... Again, we don't get too much interiority from him. But he's trying to be the brother he was before what they refer to as the war here because it was the Vietnam War back in the 80s that was the resulting trauma for both of them that sent him down his spiral of villainy and her into the X-Men. Except time's not allowed to pass. So instead of being the Vietnam War in canon, this is now dubious but probably couldn't have happened more than like three years ago. Well, see, this is one of the reasons why I'm really glad they changed her name, because do you know about the Sion Kong War? No, I don't think so. This is a recently established Marvel thing in the... Oh, wait, is that the one where they made up a war, like a fake war? To replace all the Vietnam backstory characters? Yes. So that they can just reference this fake thing that they don't have to keep feeling awkward about timestamp wise or in terms of using real countries yes it is now a made-up faux vietnam war called the sian kong war which is now like that's where punisher was that's where probably iron man was that's yeah which is really awful and the thing is i thought that the other thing they might do if they wanted to solve the name thing is just say that she's from sian kong 
and that's how they do names there. So I'm really glad they fixed the name instead of doing that, because that whole idea for that war is just, I'm just like, that's just so racist, it's insane to me. Why would you ever think to do that? Literally, they, yeah, anytime comics, like, especially do this with, like, Southeast Asia or if the Middle East, anytime that they make up a country so that they're not referencing a real one, and in their made-up country manage to still be as, but probably more racist by just creating, like, the white creator's mental image of what that region of the world looks like. Yeah, at least like Claremont Vietnam, you can bring in actual Vietnam Vietnamese creators later and like fix it. Like Swan's name is fixed. Yeah. It, I'd rather that, frankly. Luckily, this isn't Siang Kong and there's nothing to get mad about here, only delighted by. There's just like panels of of all of the siblings hanging out together and just like playing soccer together. And it's a very sweet thing of, like, Tron trying to, I guess, like, reintegrate his way into the family slowly and try and have a healthier relationship with the siblings. And then, um, so, I cannot remember the little kids' names. It doesn't matter. They're not even really in this comic. It's just, like, this scene. We just get told where they've been this whole time. Yeah, they're very young children who don't actually, like, you know, really do anything in the plot they're just also there's a fair chance that in the marvel database of characters they've got new names now so who even knows but the young boy kicks the soccer ball and it's coming directly at tron's head and he instinctively activates his power and winds up accidentally like controlling the other two kids for a second uh, so to be clear also his power signature is the exact same as karma's but blue so it's the same like blocky silhouette but his is like a bright blue color to oppose her bright pink magenta color which i love the color coding yeah like it is on a literal level if you think about it pink for girl blue for boy but i don't care it looks cool you know and i like the sibling uniqueness slash synchronicity of we have the same geometric theme just a different color code yeah, and I like, like... Those are two colors that look really cool together as well. Yeah, the contrast is excellent. Yeah, um, and I believe that is from the original, like, appearance. I'm trying to remember, I think hers was a little bit more reddish until she absorbed him, and that's why it's a pinky purple, because it's both of them, kind of. But, like, the pinky purple has been the thing since, like, every appearance you've ever read of this character, except for one, so... She gets to keep her pinky purple. Um, and so we go back, we cut back to like the present with um, Rogue and Swan in the bar. And Kate Pride walks in, the Red Queen of the Hellfire Club. You know, Captain of the Marauder walks in. And her sudden appearance in this already emotionally heightened, like, you know, Swan's dealing with a lot. It looks like the girl she very clearly had a crush on that wasn't spoken on panel because, well, frankly, you don't want Danny to say no because then that's just going to be used as an argument to, like, not do something with Danny later. And then Elle is there and they just broke up. And then in walks Kate, who, the reason I read Mechanics, everyone, is because there is this absolutely, um, well, it's very clear from the start of Mechanics that 
Swan is hanging around Kate because she kind of likes Kate. And there is an absolutely amazing sequence where she and Kate very nearly kiss on panel to the point where in the narration for the story, because it's, it's, it's from Kate's point of view, Kate literally says, things seem to be going in a direction I wouldn't have imagined before. While, like, leaning in slowly towards Swan's lips. Uh, they get interrupted by a sentinel, but there was a lot of chemistry and back and forth happening there. And so, just like Tron did earlier, Swan briefly loses control of her power and controls uh, both Rogue and uh, Fred, who are standing next to her, and disorients them. And she's so just, like, clearly distraught over having lost control. She just apologizes and immediately, like, sprints out of there. And then we just get Rogue turning to Fred and saying, Do you think Karma and Kate ever... Nah, couldn't be. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you've read Mechanics, you know. Yeah. And Kate just gets everyone's attention again and basically introduces more plot says that there's incidents going on around the island of mutants basically just losing control and when they regain consciousness they don't really remember what's been happening to them oh they lose their consciousness as well they like all stay asleep yeah yeah they get like knocked out and basically as karma is getting her bearings outside she then looks over and sees cannonball seeming like he's about to fall over and doesn't have control Andy turns to her and we get the telltale sign of his eyes being blue from her brother's possession he also speaks vietnamese which like he's from kentucky so <laughs> he doesn't speak vietnamese cannonball doesn't know where vietnam is on a map no he does not or sien kong and he just passes out in the foliage, and that's the end of part three. So, Elle is clearly listening to what Kate's saying. Is like, wow, that sounds a lot like Swan's power. And she sees that Swan's, like, running away from the lagoon because, I mean, she's just stressed. And, like, clearly she knows that it's Tron now and is going to go and deal with it. And so Elle and Danny uh, agree to go and follow her, at which point they find Cannonball and are worried that it is, in fact, Karma doing this. Elle flies up to catch up with Swan and asks her what's going on, but at this point, she's, like, too stressed out to help her, to work with her, um, and says it's personal, meaning it's none of your concern, not anymore. And so they start hashing out some of their relationship stuff, uh, mostly just um, Elle saying she just asked for space not to, like, fully break up, and that... Um, but she's still her teammate, and I guess she's a new mutant. Sure, we'll say that Elle's a new mutant. And so that makes it still part of her concern. And they start getting a lot more heated. Elle is um, very angry and frustrated that Karma is not helping out. And, like, gets very much up in her face. And when Danny comes up and expresses the same concerns, Karma relents a bit and says that it's her brother, but he clearly needs help. His mind is unused to occupying its own space. He seems to be unable to release himself from the minds of others. I can sense traces of him. I can feel his mind's essence moving around. Which is an interesting concept going on here character-wise of just like 
oh, he's been stuck sharing someone else's body. Maybe even sharing is too strong of a word, like being the subservient presence in someone else's body for 30 years of publication time. He is not used to being confined within his own body and not being involved in some sort of like possession slash struggle of the psyches. So it makes sense that things aren't going well. We also get uh, like, so we actually see at one point the, the sort of essence of his mind like moving around and it's, it's the blue sort of blocks forming like a little line pattern. It's just like such a cool way to visualize like, mental energy yeah it's like a geometric psychic trail yeah i i i just i love their power signatures so much and he's actually in the arena that the crucible i guess at this point used to be in because now they have the thing that scarlet witch set up so they don't need to use it anymore it's weird that we had several really big crucible issues and then like right after that the crucible goes away forever (laughs) It's, they don't need to do it anymore, so, like, if you don't need to fight to the death, why would anyone do that? And so they, the three of them go over there to confront Tron, um, and basically, yeah, he's having these issues controlling his powers, and he almost immediately winds up taking over Danny. And in his mind, the fight, which he was in Karma's mind there for, the fight in the arena between uh, Danny and Swan... And he's been replaying it, like, living through it over and over, and can't believe that he deserves the sacrifice that she made to give him, like, the second chance that she wanted to give him. He talks about all the evil things he's done, which, like, yeah, in that one issue he was in, he managed to do, like, a lot of really bad things. Yeah, and it's just, you know, again, makes sense psychology-wise of just, like, I imagine that no matter what the circumstances are, if you watched someone literally get killed for your sake, you would probably feel guilty and unworthy no matter what the circumstances were because you watched them die. Swan clarifies immediately that she also did it for herself because, like, yeah, she didn't want him in there. Yeah, as you wouldn't. you, You wouldn't. I don't, again, I have not read Dead Souls, but I think Dead Souls involves him, like, taking over her body from what i understand so like yeah why not just get you guys separate bodies i mean if he keeps acting up he'll just wind up in the pit he can hang out with Sabretooth. although i think the Sabretooth's out now last i knew yeah yeah i need to read that and he's basically just having a lot of difficulty dealing with facing what he's done facing what karma's done for him just does not feel like, stable and worthy of, like, having a new place in her life or Even his at own all. body, yeah. Uh, he's unable now to, like, leave Danny. Like, he can't stop possessing people. At which point, Elle shows up again alongside Psylocke. Uh, for clarification, in case you aren't up to date on the Kokoa era, this is Kanan, um, no longer a white lady in an Asian lady's body. We have just the actual Asian lady. Thank goodness. Uh, Japanese, specifically. And in more of Trungles getting to draw characters' signature power signifiers, we get her showing up with her butterfly effect already out and looking lovely, pink popping against the blue. 
Yeah, there's no, like, significant karma Psylocke interactions that I can think of, but it's definitely, like, an obvious pairing to do, and again, I'm like, I'd love to see a book that is just, like, the two of them together for an issue or two doing stuff, because I'm sure that would be great. Yeah, and this basically then turns into the closest thing that the series has to a standard action scene wherein... He is going to be bopping around, transferring minds. Yeah, the first thing he does is takes over Elle's body then. And Elle is, because of like her wind abilities, definitely the like most threatening physically there. I mean, Psylocke's a ninja, but like if you can't reach someone, you can't hit them with a sword. And so we get just a very cool, like more of like the blocky power signature as they're both like fighting for control over L and like it's visualized by having their power signatures sort of come out as like blocky beams that crashed against each other and then um Psylocke and Swan are able to like combine their powers which results in just like a series of like little psychic butterflies and psychic blocks that are all in the same pink color pulling Tron out of L. Swan immediately goes over and you know there's like the oh I'm so glad you're okay beat but then we cut back to Danny, who has pulled her... She she has a, like, psychic arrow thing. So just everyone's got, like, a cool psychic weapon thing in this story. Um, because, of course, Tron has now possessed Psylocke, who, with, like, the combined mental powers, obviously. And basically, while he's possessing her, Tron just keeps talking about how he wants to be free of doing this and return to his own body, but he just feels like he can't. And just more about him being unable to isolate his mind and karma just being like, don't shut me out. Let us help you. Yeah, you know, just the character beats just being what they are. And he just like continues to sort of resist, but Danny and karma together are able to get him to release his hold on Psylocke's mind. Yeah, we, we go into his mind with Swan as, like, they're able to sort of break through his psychic defenses. And we get a flashback to them together in Vietnam as children. And we specifically see him, uh, is the term dribbling in soccer? Him playing with a soccer ball... Yeah, a dribbling would be if he was kicking it around. He's doing the thing where he's bouncing it off of his knees and legs, which, honestly, I can't remember because I'm the least sporty person on the planet. Yeah. With the one possible exception to that being you. I think I've done more <laughs> sports than you. I did fencing. I did track and color guard. Oh, that is more sporty, isn't it? Yeah, okay, fair enough. I am at least comparably sporty to you. <laughs> um, But I like this nice little bit of continuity of just like you know it's a very small thing because the series is very short but i appreciate the returning little visual nod between him as a child playing soccer here and earlier on when we saw him playing soccer with the little siblings in the present day to try and bond with them you know and it's not really something that the characters really comment on but it's a nice little touch and so basically they have a it's it's a conversation about control, but in this context, they're controlling a soccer ball. And um, young Tron basically says that if you focus too much and try to control it too much, 
you're going to fail at like keeping the ball sort of you know bouncing around but if you relax a little and just flow with it you're going to be able to do it and basically this flashback was swan trying to show tron that more vigilance won't help him control his powers focusing and all the bad things he's ever done won't help him fix the problems he just needs to do better now and not think about it just work with himself now to do better and not do anything more and so she lets go of his mind and he is able to let go of everyone else's minds and all the people who would unconscious sort of wake up and i'll mention that you know obviously audio medium listeners can't see it but the facial expressions and the sequence are very effective and that like the end of their conversation the panels are just a sequence of like close-ups on their faces and you get to see just like the slight changes in their expression as they talk their way through the conversation in a way that's very effective yeah it's it's really well done especially like seeing the shift in tron as he actually relaxes is so cool and the more i look at this the more i want to go back through this and just note down every time something is pink and every time something is blue because there's so much of that and it's not just with the power signatures like for example the flashback earlier where they were playing soccer with the two younger siblings swan is wearing a blue dress and headband that's the same color as tron's power signature yeah, like, they are the definitive colors of the story, even when it's not just their literal powers. Uh, very funnily, Quanon says, Don't love being the mind swap specialist, but I'm glad that's over. <laughs> to which they just kind of look at her, slightly horrified, like, Oh, yeah, yeah, you literally get the worst of that of anyone ever, don't you? I mean... Tron didn't have a body for 40 years of publication, but uh, neither did she for 30 years of publication. We all just keep on fucking each other over in terms of not having a fucking body. And so it's reiterated that they're all there and they're going to try and help Tron out. And we end with the conversation between Swan and L, where L apologizes because... Seeing you go through the crucible ceremony, I watched you die right over there. I mean, I knew you'd be back, but it still sucked, you know? I hated it, I just needed to take a step back and think on it, and I've come to the conclusion that I don't ever want to see my girlfriend die ever again. Is that fair? And <laughs> the expression that Swan makes on the word girlfriend is just hilarious. Like, again, she, she is the oldest new mutant. When she's introduced, she's like already 18, and most of them are like 24 now she must be like 26 27 and she is wide-eyed like small text inside a larger speech bubble says girlfriend and in her defense she must be shocked that marvel is letting her have one that is so true <laughs> she has not just the arrested development of a homosexual that's never been able to date but a homosexual that has legally never been allowed to date by executives. Well, and what we mentioned earlier, the other two, like, major lesbian relationships at Marvel, all of them are ones that have been, like, made canon decades. in the Kokoa era. Yeah, decades after being first established and only being canon in the span of the last five years. 
Yeah, like, the Betsy Rachel thing was first being hinted at by Chris Claremont in stuff in the early 2000s. Destiny and Mystique are very obviously together in the Claremont run, but it's not allowed to be on panel. And then Swan has been, like, a gay character since the early 2000s for sure. There's the 90s issue, which, like, I think mostly just implies it, but, like, we'll count it. And again, decades in the making for her to be in an actual on-panel relationship. Thank goodness they're doing this. But, like, it's taken way too fucking long. (laughs) And we basically just end on the, aw, we're together, little relationship moment. And we get the kiss up in the feathery sky with the moonlight as we're literally levitating in air. Yeah, just, she's holding karma. I mean, if your girlfriend can fly, yeah, let's let's go fly. (laughs) Let's make out. 30 feet above the ground and yeah that's how it end is the literal kiss in the sky i think now that we've covered all the plot i think one thing i want to note before we wrap up that i think helps with how well this works is it's a series focused around a at best d-list character oh that's mean but True, but mean. Yeah, like, I don't mean it to be mean, but just, like, you know, like, if you're not a hardcore X-Men fan, you don't know who she is, you know? And that's not, like, a knock against her, but it's just true, you know? Like, she's the new mutant that's not even in New Mutants. She's the one who didn't even make it into the movie. Yeah, exactly. I never watched that movie, because, God, why would you, but... Yeah, I think one thing that helps this really work, and that's, like, necessary to making... A character who hasn't really gotten spotlight before is the fact that it has her interact and shows snapshots of her relationships with several other characters in a way that makes it feel like she does have a place on the island and in these teams and among the X-Men even though we've seldom seen it on panel. You know like we get to build a sense of her having a life between not just the girlfriend, but I would say, like, even more importantly, like, there's the girlfriend and there's the family drama, but there's also fellow New Mutants, most importantly, Danny. She has the moment with Rogue. Her history with Kate is alluded to. You know, she's clearly, like, friendly with Blob. It's just, like, a sense of, oh, here's a character who is part of this social circle, and has these different relationships, even though we never actually get to see it before now, almost ever. The Rogue issue is so important on that front, because just, like, Rogue is such a popular character, and then having her come in and just have the funniest section of this story, I think is one of the reasons why so many people wound up noticing this, is because, like, those panels got shared a lot online. For the obvious reason that they're absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it's, I guess, almost kind of like using the popular character to, like, validate the minor character's existence and focus. Well, to, Like, to... draw eyes to it to get people to actually look at it. It's, it's Ms. Marvel having Wolverine show up in, like, her seventh issue. Yeah. Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, to be clear, if you're listening. Yeah. Although no one knows any of the other Ms. Marvels now. But, yeah, this is... Honestly, one of my favorite, like, Krakoa-era X-Men stories, which is saying a lot. Yeah, I like it. I appreciate what it does with the character. 
I appreciate that it gets to be a bit different tonally and just like I like what it does with her character. I enjoy it and I appreciate the starkly different art style. I wouldn't say that it's like top of Krakoa for me personally, but I can obviously see why it would be among someone's favorite stories and I did enjoy it. And I would like to see more Trungle's work. It made me go like, oh yeah, I still haven't bought his graphic novel. And so like I went and bought his graphic novel that he did that's sitting in my to-read pile and hope to just see him continue to be successful. I mean, I know they've got um, that new New Mutants book, but I feel like there's space for two Young Mutants books in the line. I would do a second one. You've got that Generation X title sitting right there, unused. Throw someone onto that. Yeah, and character-wise, at least, throw Karma in somewhere. I don't even care if it's New Mutants. You could even expand the character by putting her in a new context somewhere, but just... She knows them all. She lived in that mansion. Yeah, Rogue knows her. She has a connection with an Avenger. <laughs> Everyone knows her. Oh god, Just... karma, karma for Uncanny Avengers. Never bring Uncanny Avengers back. They announced that they are bringing Uncanny uh, Avengers back, didn't they? They announced last night that they're bringing it back. Maybe it'll be good. I don't know. It's not to be a hater, but throw karma somewhere. Hopefully she's not floating in limbo too long. It's duggan and then unless i'm mistaken because i only saw the twitter tag but i believe that the artist is the same one um who did the arguing guardians of the galaxy run so it will at least look quite nice okay and it is just like mutants quicksilver and captain america no deadpool this time oh actually no deadpool too Oh, well, <laughs> there you go. I, I forgot for saying, no, Deadpool's on there too. But then everyone else is a mutant, so I guess it is kind of maybe the best Uncanny Avengers lineup, because if you said this was an X-Men team, there's only, like, two people on there who I'd raise my eyebrow at, and Quicksilver's not actually one of them. Yeah. He was a mutant for long enough. It's allowed. He's a mutant. I don't care. I <sighs> Pisses me off, but oh well. Yeah, I guess. Do we have anything else to say about karma real quick since we're steering off or if we basically covered what you wanted to hit no i mean that's just about everything uh, i as i said i i need more with l i think especially since like this has brought karma i think a lot more prominence going forward like i think we'll see after the amount of length of time it takes to make a comic from the planning perspective we're going to start seeing a lot more of her because hopefully this was such a hit yeah, hopefully, and like... I we need to develop L. Yeah, if this specific relationship is going to continue, then we need to make L into more of a dynamic character, but we shall see. Do do a, do a uh, Marvel Infinity Comics uh, Love Unlimited, L and Love Unlimited, or uh, Infinity Comic. Do Birds of a Feather and have it be go back and forth between her, Warren, and Beak's love lives. I would actually read the shit out of that. Lots of molting. <laughs> I More Beak comics would be great. I enjoyed that arc he had with Ramsey. I, I considered that as my scrolly pick, but then this came out, and I was like, oh, well, okay, that's the scrolly I have to pick for doing one of these Unlimited ones. Like, shocking that this wasn't in the X-Men Unlimited one. Because to be honest... As a romance comic, it's got surprisingly little romance. 
Yeah, it's like the relationship is central to the plot, but it's not the sort of like, it's like more about karma and her whole deal, you know, versus when you think of reading a romance thing, you expect that to be the central conflict or driving force and it isn't actually here. It's, yeah, I mean, it's more about like her and Tran than anything else. Although like, yeah, Elle's like splitting up her sets up the plot, but yeah. Yeah, but that's karma and love. I Birds think of a feather, that's such a great name. They need to do that now. Yeah. Give us a sexy beak comic. I'd read it. I would read literally any beak comic. I've read all of Exiles just to read the bits that Beak was in. And there's not that many. <laughs> I'm going to read that New Warriors book that he's in as like human face beak. Not human face beak human face like drawn like a typical guy in a comic book beak i'm like at the very least you gotta make him like gawky or something you can't do that yeah but i think it's pretty clear we both recommend this even if like more action oriented typical x books aren't your speed if you like a more just sort of like characters fucking around and thinking about their feelings and that's kind of it sort of book then I think this will be up your speed. Have you always wanted an X-Men book where they just hang out at the bar and talk about their relationships? Because I think that is actually most X-Men fans. Yeah. <laughs> then yes, you would like this. At least all the X-Men fans I'm aware of just want that. Yeah. I assume there's some people who are like, hell yeah, Wolverine Cable shooting guns and stabbing folks, but I don't think I know any of them. I mean, I appreciate that having its moment. But they need to talk about their feelings, too. I'm like, once every three issues, I'll let you have a fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's it. Thank you all for listening. Next week, there's not a new homework assignment. We're not reading anything new. We're instead going to be just discussing and looking back on everything we covered in year one and doing our own little personal award show of our favorite things that we read and a couple of the exact opposite. We need to have like a silly like name for the awards. We haven't come up with that yet, but we've got to come up with like a, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> what's our equivalent of the Peter Corbo award? Like what's a minor character that we've latched onto? The problem is that we're not, like, themed to one specific thing, like Jay and Miles. Oh, yeah. We'll figure it out. But anyway, see you all next week. Thank you for listening, and bye. Bye. Chris, Chris, Eric, 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 Eric. Oh, oh, oh.